Greetings, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Dreamscapes. Today, we have our friend Lincoln Stoller from Victoria, B.C., Canada. Canada, sorry, couldn't resist. He is a, um, oh my goodness, a, a physicist, psychotherapist, and a neuropsychologist. You can find um, more about him at mindstrengthbalance.com, and we're going to talk all about him and his work in uh, just a moment. For my part, would you kindly like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. Always need more volunteer dreamers, uh, viewers for my video game streams, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. 16, currently available works of historical dream literature, uh, most recently Dreams and Their Meanings by Horace G. Hutchinson, a great book uh, by a former, uh, a man who's considered the father of golf instruction. Very interesting. He shifted over into that uh, in correspondence with his readership. All this and more at BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com. Uh, a full list of all the books, MP3 downloads of this very podcast. Um, also, BenjaminTheDreamWizard.Locals.com. Trying to build a community there, and that is where I would prefer to uh, receive any sustaining donations, if you'd be so kind, uh, one time or or recurrent monthly. Either way, that's enough about me and my disorganized shilling. Let's get back to uh, Lincoln. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Good deal. Did I get that right? I wrote down physicist. Like, was that your uh, first life, so to speak? <clears throat> Mountaineering was my first, and then physics, and then mm, the yeah, what happens? Oh, psychedelics, and then <laughs> mm, hypnotherapy, and then yeah. neuropsychology, and then clinical counseling. Very cool. And we were talking uh, just briefly, like I don't do any preparation. I'm thoroughly unprofessional when it comes to like how to build a podcast and do all this stuff. I barely got a handle on the shilling, as you can see. Um, so we didn't talk at all about what your books were and where they come from and uh, um, or what, 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 what they're about. Uh, what would people find at your website? Um, Mind Strength Balance has my information as a therapist and uh, my focus is on... Mm, Healing and, uh, well, healing, I suppose, sure. if you think you need it. And uh, guidance coaching for uh, professional development, relationship development, stuff like that. The books are on, one's on sleep, one's on dreams. Um, one's on COVID, the use of hypnosis, self-hypnosis, because mm. that seemed pertinent. And uh, generally, self-hypnosis for health is a underappreciated field. And then three others are on learning, learning as opposed to schooling. Very cool. Big difference. Yeah, those are not the same thing. Absolutely. More people should probably understand that. I saw an interesting thing. Uh, I'm always browsing uh, online media and different stuff. I think it might have been on you know the X platform, but formerly known as Twitter. Um, it was an interesting social experiment in a way of they, they took a room full of people and they said, okay, just look at each other. Maybe talk about yourselves a little bit and rank where you think your IQ is and, and put people in order. And so based on appearance and education, they did this ranking and then they did the IQ testing and showed that the person who had the, a PhD uh, and a very impressive title and all this schooling and spoke very well and all these things, uh, she had convinced the others to place herself at number one. And it turned out she was number six out of all of them. She was the last in line, the lowest IQ. Now it was over a hundred, it was like 112 or something. But the guy she thought was, uh, you know, inbred corn fed hick from the Midwest. Uh, he actually had the highest IQ out of all of them. Uh, but just, you know, the appearance and the, the schooling tricked everyone into thinking it meant intelligence, that it meant capacity, uh, you know, versus just received information, so to speak. Well, there's a lot to it. It's not a simple spectrum, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've had a lot of experience with very smart people. And also, I've had a lot of cultural experience traveling around the world with people who have no education or aren't literary. What do you mean literate? Uh, literate, who can't uh, yeah. write and read. And, um, yeah, it, there's, uh, well, so much of it is cultural. I mean, the people who can't write or read come from cultures who don't write or read. So, yeah, you know, they live in the jungle, and that's their life. It means nothing. So it really intelligence doesn't. Yeah. wouldn't wouldn't apply to them. Intelligence test wouldn't apply to them. And well, and a lot of it's cultural or situational. I'd say, you know, it's like judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree. It's just a right. bad metric. And that we get into that a lot. It's like, bad yeah, metric. You, yeah, That's yeah right. for sure. Um, your books on, uh, both sleep and on dreams. Um, I don't know if you want to say a little bit about those It's kind of the you know focus of my show, but, uh, well, I got a lot of people. Well, step back. Um, there's a problem with sleep kind of, uh, chronically in this society there is you know yeah. for the obvious reasons that people aren't given the latitude to define it for themselves and uh it's not given a high priority in general mm, you know you can look at school how school is designed to provide daycare for parents who need to go to work on time and so kids have to have a sleep schedule that meets their parents but kids need more sleep but that doesn't matter because no one cares and uh so then people get chronically sleep dysregulated and it turns out in my experience as a hypnotherapist and neuropsychologist, uh, hypnosis and brain training are very effective for sleep problems, which mm. you know, generally come as insomnia, but can also be poor sleep. And um, so I wrote this book called uh, The Path to Sleep because there were basic things that people didn't know or do about how to... Uh, um, you know, coordinate their, their sleeping and waking lives so that it works, mm -hmm. and um, how they need to think or not think in order to move into a sleep state. Mm -hmm. So that's the first book. And then the second one is called Becoming Lucid, and it's about lucid dreaming and nice. what that might mean, because I kind of think it's a misnomer, since anything you dream is a dream, mm. and anything you think you're doing in a dream is a dream yeah um uh unless you wake up in which case it's not a dream anymore so uh i basically talked about the four situations or daydreaming and night dreaming and mm -hmm. uh the dreamy state of when you're waking up and integrating and the strange state when you're falling asleep and uh provided hypnosis mp3s in that book and uh, i really like some one one guy's review of the book said you know if you ever wanted to know what it means you know the buddhist uh koan of whether you're a a person dreaming of a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming of a person you know read my book so i thought very you know. cool yeah and then the other books are on learning and as i mentioned COVID, <clears throat> and there are more coming out definitely now that's very fascinating i mean some people may not realize how important sleep actually is good restful sleep of, of sufficient quantity and, and, and quality. Um, one of the things I like to uh, tell people as often as I can, and I don't do it much on this channel because we talk more about dreams and about sleep itself, but when I'm talking about sleep, let people know that like the, the experiments are uh, show that the if you go without sleep for a sufficient time, you literally become psychotic. You start having difficulty thinking clearly and uh, visual and auditory hallucinations a very famous case of a uh, i think a, a radio jockey that went 
three days at, or into five days without sleep for a contest. You know, he's trying to prove like I can do this and I'm going to, I'm going to win this contest. And he got wacky and just, just, just not sleeping and, and certainly not sleeping well can lead us into a kind of state of psychosis where we're just not capable of thinking clearly and our perceptions are well, off. Yeah. It can kill you too. Yes. I mean, sleeping is a necessary function like eating and breathing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Two weeks without sleep and you'll probably be dead. But, uh, you know, a lot, since I started being a clinical counselor a couple of years ago, uh, my sleeping has become more dysregulated mm. because I'm basically empathizing with all these people in their strange lives. Yeah. And it sort of stresses me out. So I found that brain training is helping me again, which is basically meditation is a brain training, but if you do it with neurofeedback or some device, it can help you get there faster. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, basically what it's doing is it's getting me calmer and it's getting me more flexible in terms mm -hmm. of moving into a trance, a sleep trance. Yeah, definitely. And staying there. That's that's something I've found through my review of the historical literature that I'm republishing and enhancing with additional footnotes and whatnot just to, to really reference and, and fully explain, well, who are these people they're talking about? They give one last name that I know, but does the reader know who was who was Maori and why are his sleep experiments important? That kind of thing. Um, right. But uh, the idea of altered states of consciousness would might might be the umbrella term and it includes things like hypnotism and trance and meditation and daydreaming and dreaming in general and how they're and all psychedelics yeah and how it's they're all kind of connected yeah. for sure yeah um and there's some recent speaking of psychedelics some recent fantastic experiments this is not medical advice but showing that they have tremendous capacity to treat specific types of conditions and specific maybe micro dosing quantities but they it's like what they said they had people with ptsd i think and they had them experiment with um ecstasy or mdma whatever whichever one that was i don't know if you know but and then it same kind thing. of what say again they're both the same they're, they're, there you go i couldn't uh, i didn't want to uh, express that poorly um but that it kind of reset the brain in a way that short-circuited the, that the 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 PTSD reactivity to to certain stimuli. Um, I, I don't know if you've had experience, not experience, well, but let me just tell you, there's another ahead. interesting thing that came out, which was uh, ketamine is a anesthetic mm -hmm. used for it's you have to be used for animals, but it's certainly effective for people. And at a high dose, it's hallucinogenic. And uh, there's a lot of talk also in this area that the restorative properties are chemical, not psychological. Mm. You know, like it's a pill, a magic pill. So they gave ketamine to people who were going under general anesthetic for surgery in addition to their general anesthetic to see if the ketamine would help these people with their otherwise clinical depression, mm. and it did not do anything at all. Oh. So it is uh, suggestive that there's a therapeutic aspect that has to be coupled to the chemical effect. So it's not just sort of neuroplastic in its effect. Well, at least this is the suggestion for ketamine, but it needs some uh, intentional work to go on at the same time. So yeah. flexibility is one thing and reorganization is another. Definitely. Yeah. No, you, you keep, you keep mentioning the idea of brain training. And I think that's a great way to express it is that we have, it's like muscle training. Any, uh, it is the idea that we, there's certain organs of the body. We can't change the function of consciously that's disputed 
mind body connection, but the idea of the liver does what the liver does and we can maybe impair it or more or less by certain conscious actions and certainly physical actions, you know, stressing it out chemically. But the brain is, is a, a very different type of thing that we can exercise. And, um, the idea that it's, almost really never stops forming new neuronal connections. Um, it's, it's most active when we're young, we have the most, you say neuroplasticity, but that doesn't mean it it doesn't ever really stop where, you know, every, anytime you learn something new, you're forming new connections or strengthening existing connections, get really getting that. uh, Well, this is something you can train, right? I mean, everybody knows, and I think you can feel if you're aware that you're, well, you have to have some wide view that, there are states in which you're not thinking well or you're not thinking creatively yeah. or uh, certainly it's easy to focus on other people like our parents who uh, have stopped being flexible. <laughs> and it's fairly easy to imagine that you could become flexible just in the way that a child is given a paint set or you are given the freedom to create. I mean, this is sort of what we do on vacations. Yeah. If we're lucky. We break um, break our patterns, and, and it's it's a skill. It's it's not just uh, it's not just something that happens to you. It's something you develop to do better, mm-hmm. think better, be more flexible. Okay, we haven't even talked about emotions, but emotions are another flip side of thinking, which are not quite as intentional, but probably more important in terms of your motivation. Yeah, and uh, you can also learn to I wouldn't say master because that's kind of ass backwards, but um, respond more effectively. To your emotional triggers or feelings. Uh, so, I mean, this is what the neuropsychology is. It's the intellect, it's the IQ, it's the feeling, emotions, uh, the triggers, uh, the trauma, the memories, all of which we sort of think we're in control of, but at the same time, we feel we have no control. Yeah. So, which is it? <laughs> It's very interesting. And I've, I've mentioned this before and I love the conception. So I'm very, my, my, my work in dreams is, is informed by Freud, Jung, a lot of sources, of course, read, reading and republishing all these books. But, but I also consider myself, uh, you know, um, leaning heavily in, into kind of some of the Jungian stuff in terms of archetypal things. And I love the way the Greeks conceptualized emotions that appear to afflict us from external, you know, that must be Af- Aphrodite, sending arrows to stab my heart with an arrow against my will. Cause that's kind of how we conceive mm. or experience right. emotions is as if they are beyond our control. Um, and in some ways they are, I mean, it's, uh, it, it definitely seems well, the triggers. Yeah. The, the triggers often are, I mean, mm. external ones, but you do have a choice of, you know, how red the red in your heart gets. It's true. Or how black, you know, your heart yeah. gets. Benjamin the Dream Wizard wants to help you pierce the veil of night and shine the light of understanding upon the mystery of dreams. Every episode of his Dreamscapes program features real dreamers gifted with rare insight into their nocturnal visions. New Dreamscapes episodes appear every week on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and other video hosting platforms, as well as free audiobooks highlighting the psychological principles which inform our dream experience and much, much more. To join the wizard as a guest, reach out across more than a dozen social media platforms and through the contact page at BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com, where you will also find the wizard's growing catalog of historical dream literature, available on Amazon, featuring the wisdom and wonder of exploration into the world of dreams over the past 2,000 years. 
That's Benjamin the Dream Wizard on YouTube and at BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com. No, for sure. That's that's where I was going with that. That idea that um, we may and probably, you know, it, it certainly we seem to experience certain emotions from certain triggers involuntarily, but there that doesn't mean we have to respond to them in a particular way. Right. We can choose mm-hmm. how intensely we allow an emotion to expand after the, the initial onset. Or uh, one of my favorite things to do is like uh, this, this, this almost of a visual um, conceptual idea of get, get something out of your head and hold it in front of you and look at it. Observe yourself. It's like the, the, the trick with meditation is you don't try to stop your thoughts. You don't try to have particular thoughts. You surrender control and you watch them flow by. Oh, I had a feeling. There it is. That's the feeling. Uh, I had that thought. Some people mis misconceive that they are their emotions. They are their thoughts rather than they are the person experiencing thoughts and emotions and just giving people that context sometimes and, and practice that brain training to say, uh, you know, you don't have to be reactive. You can, you can just be angry. Okay. I am angry. What do I want to do about that? that, that that's the breathing room that, uh, take, take a break, get away from the problem, uh, to, to interrupt that, uh, certainly bad, negative patterns of behavior that lead to bad outcomes that you've noticed in your life. Um, probably, you know, a preaching of the choir here, but also for the benefit of the audience. <laughs> let, let me add one thing. Sure. Uh, it's a big deal for me to recognize that we all have mm, competing personal personalities, personal inclinations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you, for example, say that you're angry you can step back and say, okay, I'm angry, but there's another part of me that's uh, reflective or another part of me that's sad or another part of me that's frightened. And I think it's really essential in most of my work to try to get people to see them simultaneously. You are really benefit when you can see your feeling as uh, a layered response of a sad person, a frightened person, an angry person, sure. um, a frustrated person, and try to, in a dreamlike way, actually talk to these people. Say, why are you frustrated? Why are you angry? Why are you sad? Why are you fearful? Why are you hopeful? Why are you wistful? Why are, you know, what are you looking for? And, and then you can, sometimes these thoughts float through your head like uh, disengaged sentences. And other times they come forward and say, it's because I feel or think or remember. And that too, you don't have to be attached to. But it's better if you take some responsibility. So you're not, a you know, I say being a victim is great. It's one of the best places you can be because then you're giving everyone else the latitude to reveal themselves. Very useful to know. But then you don't want to be trapped mm-hmm. in the box that maybe other people are creating or you're creating for yourself. Sure. Um, so you want to see it, but you don't want to be it. Yeah. And that's actually, I, that leads right into what I wrote down this idea of how we conceptualize things often. Well, I think inevitably informs what we do about these things. And the, the meaning of that for me is there's a, a trick of language that, that I've, I've noticed across different cultures where in uh, say American English or, or, or British English, even we say, I am angry. I mm-hmm. am yeah, right. sad. And some other cultures say I have anger. Like the, the I that is separate from the anger now has 
a hold of anger rather than anger being me. Uh, I, I, I love that too, of like just aiding that conceptual d distance. So you can pull it out of your head. It's not in you. It's an experience uh, happening to you in, in, in some ways. Well, in between there's I feel angry. Uh, what does that mean? You know, are you attached to your feelings or not? Mm -hmm. uh, and so some people I work with, actually, the more dysregulated people can't do that. That's they can't tough. detach from their feelings. Yeah. And so they, you know, what happens when you can't detach from your feelings is it kind of gets amplified to the point where you act on it. And then you're identified with it and you identify yourself with it. And then you get feedback that furthers you. You know, you do something angry. Then now everyone's seeing you as the angry person and they're going to deal with you as the angry person. And your opportunity to reveal your, you know, hopefulness, wistfulness, fearfulness is now gone because mm -hmm. now you're the angry person. Yeah. And, um, well, let's get into dreams. I'm interested where you're going to, before I forget my dream. Right. Yes. Do, do you want to transition into doing your dream thing? We've got about, based on your time, time frame, about 30 minutes left. I don't want to cheat you of that experience. Well, uh, you know, it, uh, we could talk about it. I think we should talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I have dreams that I've remembered for 40 years, although they sort of contract slowly to, uh, you know, a focal image. And then I have a dream. But then the dreams that I have more recently tend to be, uh, you know, when they're fuller, they're more chaotic because yeah. now they have all these scenes that don't connect. And um, sometimes they, they don't logically connect and sometimes they don't seem to temporarily connect and uh so the more present dreams are sometimes harder to relay because of their complexity um and then you know i wake up because my my sleep has been interrupted i usually wake up once a night um i usually have two dreams and i can remember the more recent one and then the earlier one is less i'm going to ask you though sure. you know they're supposed to be uh rem dreaming which is what most of our dreaming is and is tends to be more vivid and there's also supposed to be non-rem dreaming uh and i just wanted i've started to realize if i've what i can now conclude to be a couple of non-rem dreams and they do have the reputation for being less vivid and i'd wondered if you had uh, explored that as a different uh, type of dream for yourself I have not. So full disclosure, I'm you know, the dream wizard or whatnot. And part of what I think drove me into that is I don't remember most of my dreams or even that I ever had a dream. I wake up just completely. You know, I may fade out of something really. Something was happening. I was having a, an ongoing thought process, but nothing sticks with me. No images, no sequences, no story, just nothing. Mm -hmm. The the typical fragment I would come away with if, if I'm aware of it at all. I remember one uh, from, I don't know, a few months ago. I I have an image of me in my body uh, versus looking at my body third person. I'm standing by the open rear passenger door of a vehicle. I think it's white and there's, I can't see any other people. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, just that, just that experience of, of standing at that open rear passenger side door. That's the kind of dream that comes out. If I remember it at all, which is extremely rare, nothing, almost nothing since then that I can, that I can hold on to. Long story short on that, getting into the REM thing, it was it was a bit, well, it was certainly eye-opening for me to understand that um, what most people think of as uh, 
the the limits of dreaming is that they only happen in REM. And then a while back, I came across the literature that, well, they did experiments where they woke people up at variety of non-REM yes. times and asked yes. what was happening and while well, I was dreaming. So it's yeah. it's an interesting question to say. Um, it would be new information to me, and I, you know, I, I, I trust your trust your word on it that REM for whatever reason REM dreaming seems to be more vivid than non-REM dreaming yeah. that there's some mm-hmm. quality to that uh maybe and it's and it's interesting to consider is it the intensity of the dream causing the rapid eye movement or is it the rapid eye movement phenomenon that somehow informs dreams so that they become more vivid i don't have data on that at the moment it's well like, let me throw a third thing please that, uh uh bilateral rapid eye movement no bilateral movement even if it's not rapid um tends to coordinate the left and right hemispheres of your brain they get ah. they become more synchronized well, i mean you could say it's neurological because your two eyes connect to the different sides of your brain and your brain has to coordinate your image so the left and right i mean you can make this is just sort of you know neurological baloney but uh it sounds good and so um you know you can watch your brain waves synchronize by just physically moving your eyes left and right and you can also say that the dreams that you're having during rapid eye movement are more integrated emotionally and intellectually because in some sort of causative way, your eyes are, you know, you know, here we get sort of metaphorical. Your eyes are taking the experience back and forth from your intellectual to your emotional sides. And there's actually, you know, that, that dichotomy of intellectual versus emotional is just the crudest of dichotomies. There are many other, you know, ways of uh, dividing it visually, linguistically, um, spatially, uh, emotionally, uh, long-term memory, short-term memory, uh, and then these emotional centers like your amygdala is supposed to deal with fear, and there's other parts of you that are reactive and other parts of you that are executive functioning. Mm -hmm. So in terms of just, you know, you're you're not just organizing left and right. You're trying to unmix the you know, the soup, the minestrone soup of your mind into some sort of order. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what dreams are trying to do. They're trying to shelve what is essentially a, a collapsing experience of uh, perception into some sort of order. Yeah. That's, I was listening to some other podcasts with some people to just talking about the way we perceive the world itself and the, the idea of broad focus seeing everything at once versus narrow focus um on on a something specific mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's the the very i think there's the reality that we are perceiving everything at once all the time but our, we cannot process that amount of data mm-hmm. so our brains are kind of uh, as as much as the eyes and, and and other senses you know in, inform that but very much designed to in, in a way discriminate and narrow down and say okay wait a minute i can process this much information at once that's where we're gonna and we can move the focus we can we can move it around and do see what we need to see um but we're actually taking in all that information at once and so my conception of the unconscious which it was also a revelation to me and i could keep mentioning this because i love this stuff it blows my mind there was a time like 100 years ago there they were it, very much in doubt as to whether the unconscious was an actual thing. I mean, theoretically. Um, so that's, that's, that is how I conceive it is like the pool of every sensation, observation, thought, emotion we've ever had 
just uh, almost like the, the the physical structure of the brain yielding the complete data set. And then dreams also tend to be that kind of focus of let's look around these different different places. Mm-hmm. And it's as mysterious why something in the environment catches my attention. Why am I interested in this? Why does this inspire me and not that? Same thing with like, where do dreams come from? Um, it's a mystery as to why that particular focus at that particular time on that subject in that iconic or, or imagistic or um, emotional form. Um, I, I tend to think, and I'd love to get feedback on that is that uh, my theory, the way I express it is dreams self select for importance. If you remember them and if you wake up feeling strongly about it, it's probably something important to you. It's, it's probably something mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're desperate to understand a situation you want a solution for, um, some, some situation you need to get a grasp on. So you know what you're dealing with. Um, let me, let me add, yeah. add to that just to, because I know you'll enjoy it. I think dreams help you de understand things. Oh. They defocus you. They broaden your attention to the other elements that trigger you. So in my counseling, you know, one of the main problems people have is they're up against a problem and they can't figure out how to solve it. They've built themselves a box and they don't know how to get out of it. It can be as uh, simple as one woman who's afraid to go out in the sunlight and another person who's... uh, as an investment banker dealing with all these clients and their, you know, knife wielding intentions. (laughs) And what a dream will do is it, it will take you out of whatever makes sense and reintroduce you to all the other feelings you have. I mean, to reintegrate, you have to re-experience or collect at least the alternatives. And many people are, short of alternatives they're focused on what their mind is telling them the problem is or what the solution is or what other people are doing in reaction to them and uh you know if you've got a relationship problem you'll be thinking of the people involved in that problem and their behaviors their goals uh, your fears your needs and the dream will throw you you know, you'll be playing golf underwater with an octopus or something. It will, <laughs> it, it, it will, it will try to broaden your thinking in yeah. a very visceral way, and it won't be. It's not trying to resolve. It's not trying to give you an answer. It's trying to get you out of the answer mode, and trying to, you know, take you on a tour through the wax museum of your mind, um, where all these, you know, animatronic images uh you know I, and you know whether your waking life is an animatronic image is a good question too yeah. because it's all sort of contrived and if you don't believe in it it sort of falls away if you just sit there and stare at people dumbly they'll eventually go away um and so will a lot of other things in your life problems and so forth as well as opportunities but uh you know we're built as human beings to react intellectually and mindfully and often it gets us uh on the wrong path or it gets us entwined with uh, a barbed wire situation we can't get out of yeah and a dream will break us if we remember it you know but wait a minute i'd say even if you don't remember it i feel it's doing its work I think so. In in how you wake up the next day. Yeah. No, there's many times, and the, it happens more often now that I'm 
paying attention to, to, to it. The advice, sleep on it. It doesn't just, yeah, it, you know, right. um, metaphorically give it some time. Don't rush to mm-hmm. judgment. Right. Realistically, physically, like literally, I will wake up the next day with a solution to a problem. No memory of a dream, but I yes. couldn't wrap my brain around it while I was awake the previous day. And yes. I, I love, I love this. Um, a lot of the books and th- this is, um, God, I'm all over the place. Uh, legit autistic tangents. This is how my brain works. We're, we're going to circle back. I swear. Um, a lot of these, well, you don't dream because you're dreaming during the day. I might be, I, I might be getting it all out. I think about everything all the time. <laughs> it's just how my brain works. Uh, like I'm all over the place. But uh, a lot of the language they use trying to describe what's happening as we are falling asleep or what it means to be asleep, like definitions of what is sleep and how does it function. But a lot of them lean into the idea of abstraction or distraction, certainly. Like while we're focused intensely upon something, I think it's impossible to fall asleep. That's where the busy mind keeps us awake at, at night, that kind of thing. But there's, there's a, um, there's a, oh, what am I trying to say? A very real connection to that idea of abstraction. Cause as I was saying, the, the idea that the, the, the senses perceive everything all at once, all the time. And the brain's job is to kind of refine it down and focus. And that's a very functional necessity. We, if we think about too many things at once, if we're too, uh, scattered. We, we, we talk about that in say, but you know, my mental health experience, someone's thoughts being scattered in such a way that it's, it's not like mine where I kind of eventually loop back around, but they just can't put anything together. They can't, uh, you know, dementia, they can't follow a multi-step process to get to the end of it. And so what you were saying, exactly what you were saying that the, um, so, so while we're awake, our, our, the, the need, the very real survival need of, of intense focus on discrete things that are, have utility um that the the uh, the dream experience seems yeah it does that it expands it and you said inside the box i like the fishbowl analogy it's like for most of our uh, waking life we are inside that fishbowl experiencing being a fish it, we go to sleep and we kind of hold the fishbowl like i say get the idea out of our head we hold out the idea of looking at ourselves in the fishbowl and that's where we broaden that view as you were saying and kind of get to the abstract level of what's really happening here what is this kind of experience that that's what i bring to the to the dream interpretation thing is saying you know there's it's one thing to be inside an experience having the experience it's another to hold it out in front of you and say what type of experience is this how does it fit in in the broader patterns of experience that other people have had or patterns in my life and that's it takes that level of abstraction to recognize patterns. I think, uh, I don't know if you see where I'm going with this. I feel like I just rambled. <laughs> it's okay. Rambling's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rambling's like dreaming. It's rambling. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have anything to say, uh, to add to that. Fair enough. That's just fine. Um, well, we are, our, our window is closing. I think we've got maybe mm-hmm. about 10 minutes. I, we could probably talk for two hours. <laughs> Yeah, this stuff, if we yeah, had yeah. more time i love it that's why i've got no kidding i've gone as long as four and a half hours with one dreamer that was it was a long multi-part dream. Well, you know you know i wasn't going to cheat them of that experience so you should try i don't know if you would want to put this on air but yeah. uh we should do a hypnotherapy thing where i take you on a guided visualization and then you'll have a something like a dream uh but you know it gets a little weird so yeah you might want to edit it first. Well, we'll, we'll, it we'll record it and I'll apply my own rule. If I'm not comfortable with it, <laughs> we'll put it out there, right? <laughs> yeah, I, at least you'd see. It would be interesting for I'm, you. I'm, no, I'm absolutely open to the experience. I think that's, um, you know, 
any kind of a thing that is going to help me understand better and then give me a better opportunity to explain things to people that have less mm-hmm. specific knowledge. I mean, that's what kind of where I'm, I, I classify all these things as educational. And I, I think of it as educational, even when I am wrong and acting a fool and, uh, you know, definitely that, oh, that, yeah, sure. definitely in that archetypal mm-hmm. sense. I mean, sometimes I'm the, the, the fool, sometimes I'm the savior, sometimes I'm the trickster. Uh, you never really know. And I just go with it intuitively in that sense. Like I never know what I'm going to do or what's going to happen. We just, I just put it all out there and hope well, somebody gets some benefit. <laughs> everybody should be a therapist, I say, because it really uh, gets you in deep with other people's stuff. <laughs> but some of it is problematic because some people are adversarial and they need to put it on you. Yeah. And then as a professional, you're obliged to take it. And uh, some of it can be quite it's hard to tell where the sharp edge of the knife is, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, people can be self-destructive. And that's strange, too. It's all, I mean, what we're talking about here is basically creative uh, exploration. But a lot of people can find it to be very... I don't know if the word frightening or threatening or, yeah, uh, you know, at some level we're sort of maybe talking about memories of trauma and uh, upset, which for some people might be the only way to their uh, recovery. But then even that's hard to define, you know, do you need to forget it or you need to resolve it? I don't know. Uh, As a therapist, and even you can relate, your job is basically just to be a joker, you know, just to, in invent and i say people pay me to stay to say stupid shit yep. and i don't have to be right <laughs> because i'm just trying to do things differently take them out of their thought patterns and then it starts to sound like everybody's dreaming you know yeah but they're not as fluid as a dream they're much more concrete and that's often a problem yeah yeah it's 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 a difficult thing i mean what you said inspired a thought in me the idea of i've had at least a few dream interpretation collaborations. That's how I think of it as a collaboration. Until I say none of the answers are in me. I'm not hearing, you know, the voice of God. I'm not communing with spirits. I'm using no psychic powers. We are, you've invited me in to your mind and I'm kind of standing over your shoulder, shining a flashlight in the dark saying, do you see what I see? What if we mm-hmm, look at mm-hmm. it from a different angle? So mm-hmm. I think of that as the process of therapy itself in a way, mm-hmm. uh, even though I can't say this is therapy, you know, capital yeah. T licensed. Uh, I'm trying to bring that, bring that experience to it, but there are, I do. And I have, like I said, specific experiences. I have felt that resistance to certain suggested understandings that might actually be pretty true. You know, I have a strong gut feeling. Now, sometimes you, you can see it on someone's face or you can you can hear it in their voice. They go, hmm, hadn't thought about it that way. I don't think that's it. But then you get mm-hmm. people who like you can feel the pull. It's like a pull away from don't look at that. That is not yeah. we're not looking at that. And I don't you know, in these formats being not the Jerry Springer show to to, uh, you know, embarrass anyone or be salacious shock content, not wishing to do any harm in the process for entertainment any of that, I, it's going to go with it. It's okay. We're fair enough. You say, no, we're moving on. Let's get what else we can from a different part of this process. If it was more private, if this was actually private counseling and therapy, I might also shelve it on a particular day, but then in the notes, it'd be like, let's come back to this. Why? Oh yes, I do that yeah, all the time. Right. You have yeah. to. <laughs> well, another funny thing is uh, just to mention in therapy, often the most important topic on the most important issue is what they mention at the last moment parenthetically incidentally <laughs> irrelevantly on the way out the usually, door 
it's the thing that's hidden furthest under the rug. And so I take those things and then I, I put them back. I said, okay, well, let's take this ugly little piece of garbage you collected at the bottom and put it on the top. And now what does it look like? And mm -hmm. where does it uh, direct your attention? Yeah. So uh, that can be, yeah, tough. I mean, that's, that's where you get some tough. of that counter counter transference mm -hmm. type of stuff mm -hmm. too, where it's like, yep. I think this, I think this is important because looking at it will be beneficial yep. to you. Oh yeah. It's but you're, you're not going to like this and it might be unpleasant and we do this together. How can I make you feel well, safe enough to trust me to walk you through this and not let you drown? You know? Well, this is why it's hard for me to do because I get, how far do you want to get in other people's business so that you want to be able to escape it because they can't that's tough now, yeah you know, i mean you got to go there to help them but you hopefully can escape what they can't but if you get too far and there's always a question of going too far yeah it weighs on you i mean it does bend you but hopefully not break you and so you like to lift people out but not get stuck in their swamp anyway yeah. That that is that I would say that's on the art side of the art and science of, yes. of psychology itself is you know we bring our our genuine person like I love um was it Rogers I think is the two things yes. he said uh, client centered client centered therapy. but unconditional positive regard I want you to come out of this better than you went in uh, uh, uh. but also genuineness I'm just me I'm the real me at all times uh -huh. that doesn't mean now I have a problem with my filter. I absolutely do, but it doesn't mean being unfiltered or saying stupid or careless things that aren't focused properly on trying right. to it's be not helpful. careless, but it no. can be stupid, but it can yes. seem stupid. <laughs> yeah. I call it unconditional positive disregard. <laughs> there you know. you <laughs> I'm yeah. stealing that. I don't that. care what you think <laughs> is important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes we have to do that, especially when there's, yeah, there's like resistance and whatnot. Um, but that's, I think the reason I don't push that in my, interviews for a lot of reasons I've already said, but also because I can't pick up the pieces afterwards. I get one shot with someone. Mm. I've got to make it the best experience I can for them. So if I get too much resistance, it's like, they're not ready to deal with that. That's not open to discussion at this time. And I can't, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, right. it's, that's my, like I say, my, uh, this is not any licensed thing. I'm not charging money, but I bring my 100% of my professional ethics to it of, I'm not going to open a can of words. I can't worms. I can't stuff back. Right, right. I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, we've got five minutes. I do have to go in four minutes. So yeah, you... I don't know if we're going to get you... get to the dream at all, or if you want to just tell it well, to me and I'll give you my impressions. Uh, something like oh, that. the dream is strange. <laughs> the dream was uh, being in a kind of maze with panels in the corridors, and they all seemed to be closed. But if you look, there were handles, like you know, the door handles on a Tesla that push in. And if you went around, or as I did in the stream, looking for these handles, I could open them, and then they would open them a kind of um, a, a series of uh, what's that the the game um, Tesseract? No, uh, where you fit the pieces together, they fall down, and you have to fit them before they reach the bottom. Tetris. Tetris. And it was it, so I would open these kind of Tetris, three dimensional Tetris spaces, and then there would be other doors and other indentations and other handles. And then I would uh, try to get in through this series of doorways that I would create, and then I would tend to get stuck. And then at one point, I was looking for a bathroom. Bathrooms play in my dreams. And I found a bathroom, but it had no toilet, and I had to take a dump. So I said, Oh, there must, I'll go to another floor. And then I found another bathroom. It also had no toilet. And then I found myself in a stairway 
and it had uh, then it became sort of nightmarish. It had this uh, the stairway went around in a, a square depression going down, and in the center was just this big black dark hole. And I considered throwing myself into the hole. But I thought, you know, you don't want to do that in a dream because then you might do that in real life. So, uh, I mean, this is one of the things about dreams. If you want to explore, become lucid, and remember, you have to want to do it in real life. You have mm. to want to explore and think about going outside your box in real life because there's a relationship between real life and dreaming. Anyway, so um, that's that's the two images I was left with are the opportunity to throw myself down this black hole into which the stairs descended and trying to escape through these uh, series of doorways that I opened that got increasingly narrow and I couldn't fit through. And that seemed to me, on reflection, two different ways to look at the same sense of being trapped in something. And then I have to relate it to my life and I have uh, a son and an estranged wife and I am feeling trapped with her recently. And so I think, Uh, hmm, okay, well, maybe... Um, and it reminds me, in a very simple and perhaps uh, ineffective way, to think differently, right? Yeah. And, and what's the benefit? And then I, you know, and, and then you have to look at, well, do I want to think differently, or am I committed to what I think is right? And yeah. why do I think it's right? And 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 I think if you follow these things long enough, and it doesn't take very long, you become confused. And I yeah. think that's actually a nice place to be. It's where I try to get my clients in therapy. I try to get them confused so that they let go of what they think. You know, it's like a dog when you're playing with a dog chew. How do you get it to let go? It just wants to tug and tug and tug, and this is the solution. It thinks it's fun. Dogs are always happy. But people <laughs> aren't always happy. Mm-hmm. And they, they pull on their dog chew until their eyes bug out. And you kind of want to get them to, you know, you could say relax. Uh, you could say many things. Mm. And then you watch them, and some people don't relax, and some people do. And like I say, if you can do it yourself, you're in a much better position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's all great stuff. So my my impressions, what was jumping out at me, and we'll do it super short and get to try to get you out of here is, you know, I think it's consistent with your personality that you like to solve puzzles. Like that resonates with me, the idea of of finding solutions. So you've got this iconic representation of Tetris. It's a puzzle solving game. We've got involuntary pieces coming at us. We've got to find where do they fit, or we're gonna run out of time, we're gonna fail the mission. Um but and, and you're in a maze, which is another kind of puzzle, searching for answers, try, you know, acknowledging the complexity of, of a situation that it may be beyond you. It's like you, you never got out of the maze necessarily. You just found new areas and new puzzles to solve. And then, you know, if we had more time to get into it, the, the separate part of the dream, definitely that there's this, um, uh, what does it mean? We have to get into this, my, my initial impression, but what does it mean to, to, to poop, to need a place to evacuate your body, to get the stuff out that isn't, that you don't want or that needs to come out of the, the refuse. So to set aside something and you're, you're finding nowhere 
to relieve yourself in that sense of this of this burden this um something is like poop is they call it, you know birthing a brown baby that kind of thing it's it's like Ooh. there's almost like a an urgency there is an urgency to get it out it's got to go somewhere and we just you know it's going to happen in your pants if you don't find a toilet that kind of thing it's just a human human condition um so and what that led you to it it appears is this is literally a downward spiral into you, you, you use the word depression, not to not to put you on the spot and hold you responsible for your words, but that um, so maybe the inability to solve puzzles effectively to, to find a solution you're looking for an inability, inability to unburden yourself of things that are, are, are refuse. Uh, and then it mm-hmm. leads you mm-hmm. in a way down this path to, well, this is looks to me like the road to a very deep, depression a very you know right, right. downward spiral um mm-hmm. so what i would suggest is is just as a broad snapshot of your personality is you know you're a person who loves to to problem solve and you have some things you wish to be rid of to unburden yourself of and um that you realize that you if you don't satisfy maybe both of these things in the proper uh, proper quantity um that is the road to to a deterioration in your own mental health uh and i almost never go straight to let me give you an answer but that's that's my impression i don't know what you think <laughs> well i like it thanks okay i gotta go though because it's 11 it is time we'll get you out of here let me do let me do the goodbyes um uh, once again, this has been our friend Lincoln Stoller from uh, Victoria, B.C., Canada. He is a, uh, a physicist, psychotherapist, neuropsychologist, and author. You're going to find his books and more at MindStrengthBalance.com. For my part, would you kindly like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. Always need more volunteer dreamers. Uh, 16, currently available works of historical dream literature. Most recently, uh, Dreams and Their Meanings by Horace G. Hutchinson. All this and more at my website, BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com. Uh, full list of all the books, etc. Also, Benjamin the Dream wizard.locals.com and the last thing to say is uh, Lincoln thank you for being here this has been absolutely fascinating I've loved it alright let's do it again yeah definitely and everybody out there thanks for watching okay thanks Ben